0: their wisdom and the things they've learned along the way. Today I'm joined by English cricketer Peter Trigo to talk about his incredibly successful cricketing career that has spanned over 20 years and has also led him to becoming something of a TV presenter and personality in more recent years. Well known for being a great all-rounder and a flipping good bloke, Peter left his Somerset team last year and is currently signed to Nottinghamshire. I'm not going to tell you any more than that because Pete and I go back an awful long way. Dare I say, I've even faced uh, his bowling on one occasion. I think it was a charity thing that I was stupid enough to face an 80 mile an hour delivery. Uh, But Peter Trigo, Pete, really, really, uh, what can I say? Welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast
1: and thanks for finding the time, mate. Thanks for having me, Sandro. Yeah, um, always nice to catch up and... Yeah, we go back a long way, mate. I'm pretty sure um, 80 miles an hour is probably quite optimistic, but it was it was certainly one of my effort balls when I had you 22 <laughs> yards away.
0: <laughs> I just, I'm, I, um, I think I connected with one from the six. The other five, I don't think I saw them. So it, it felt like 80 miles an hour, even if it wasn't. Um, so we yeah, do was, go back a long way. I'm going to embarrass you by telling you I watched you growing up. You know, you were a young whippersnapper when I was... Uh, already at the twilight of my cricketing career, if you could even call it that. So let's uh, let's help everyone listening, Pete, by first of all asking you to tell us a little bit about Peter Trigo and, and your early life growing up, and in particular, when you discovered this love for cricket that has turned into a very, very successful career.
1: Well, obviously, growing up in uh, in Western Supermare, um, mother and father were sort of relatively sporty in their early days, but obviously when, when I became sort of aware of things, they were certainly not particularly sporty, but um, I was lucky enough to have um, have an older brother, Sam. You know, we literally spent every, you know, waking hour playing some kind of sport. I mean, the majority of my my upbringing was um, was spent living, backing onto the Drove Road Wreck, which for those who don't know Western Supermare is four hockey pitches and three rugby pitches so quite a lot of land and we would literally be out there we'd make our own golf course we'd practice being um you know uh rugby players diving into the try line uh, football hockey we literally had every sport under the sun going but actually to be fair not really cricket it was only until um I think Sam was probably about 15 when he had a really nasty accident at a local outdoor swimming pool and broke his knee because we were pretty much brought up to play football. And Sam had this nasty injury, no more contact sport. Sam took up cricket, got really good at it. And to cut a long story short, the jealous younger brother thought, I'm not having this older brother getting all the limelight. And I started playing at about 12, 13 and just just took to the game. I mean, there was no real technique to what me and Sam used to do. It was Clear the front leg, hack the ball over cow corner, as it's called, and, yeah, somehow have turned that into a 20-plus year career. It's been um, it's been amazing, really. But, like I said, massive credit um, going down to the fact that at the back of the house and I had an older brother.
0: I remember, actually, uh, I think I was probably playing in that team when you, Sam, and your dad were all in that same side. It might have been on your debut, I'm not sure, but if not, then... Then shortly after, um, at what point? Because, I mean, the other thing that people won't know about you is that not only are you a very, very good cricketer, uh, you are also a very, very accomplished golfer. Um, I'm amazed you never really played for the county, but um, a very, very good footballer could easily have turned professional at that. So what makes you so unbelievably good at all of these things? And, uh, you know, is it, is it your opinion, Pete, that you're just born to be talented at these things, almost anything you turn your hand to, or, and we'll explore this in more detail, because I think there's an important message here for a lot of people, do you, do you, is it because you applied yourself, as you say, almost every waking hour, and you, you learnt this trade? You know, you became uh, as talented as you are. Did it take a lot of practice, or was it just something you kind of woke up and think, oh, this is easy? Because a lot of people ask that question. Are you born talented,
1: or is it something that you acquire? It is is really interesting, actually, and obviously just about to turn 40 and still playing the game. You know, I I am old enough and experienced enough now to be able to reflect on what makes a sportsman a sportsman, obviously, especially having two young sons that are interested in, in different sports and one in particular on a football academy, my eldest son's in this junior Somerset team. So I spend a lot of time thinking about this question, obviously. very potted history of my sporting credentials obviously I've got down to near scratch with golf obviously my cricket career and I've played um non-league football sort of um what's the what's the league called now Vanarama South so sort of semi-professional football I've probably made I guess 300 appearances at that sort of level so there is like a multi-sports accomplishment associated with what I've done but When I look into it and I try and advise other people, it's like I I do think that I think it would be wrong to say that there isn't a born ability there. I mean I mean, this might be an unpopular view, but you 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 could you could throw a tennis ball to ten different kids that you're not related to and the way that they would catch the ball or quite simply not be able to catch the ball is obviously very you know, prevalent right in front of your eyes. You know, some kids just don't have a great hand-eye coordination. And and many, many do. But I think I I have to say that there's something within me that strives for perfection all the time. And it doesn't just manifest in what I do as a sport. It's just everything that I do. I, I literally don't touch it unless I'm going to give it my absolute all. So to answer the question I I think you know it's probably going to take up quite a bit of our time if you want a real complete answer but you know there is there is a mixture of being born with an ability but you know sometimes I think I'm not wired up right because of the of the levels I will push and try and try again and fail um to achieve the sort of levels that I want to achieve you know like I said I've I've never had to pay my bills playing golf but you know, the, the time effort I put in just to be, you know, the best golfer I can be. It's not always about competition with other people as well. It's about me feeling like I am the best I can be at whatever particular thing I'm doing. And like I said, it's not always sport. I'm just, I'm just internally driven, I think. I mean, so, so I think there's like, um, there's some sort of link between the two. And you you go through sort of the history of all the really top sportsmen and I'll reference like a Don Bradman story who's obviously known to be one of the best batsmen to ever play the game. I mean, there's a, there's a story where when he didn't have any mates to play with, he would get a stump and a golf ball and he would just tap balls up against the wall over and over again. And I, this is my biggest advice to any young sportsman is if you only do the sessions that are prescribed to you by your coach or your club, you'll only go so far. Every single high level sportsman or high level anything that I can really think of, there's always a backstory of them going out and finding ways to improve themselves. And like I said, that is is one gene that I seem to have in abundance that has sort of kept me trying to improve. And like I said, during this sort of lockdown period now is like a great example of where my head's been at, you know, 12 weeks of having my profession sort of taken away from me. And all I've done is press the reset button and I'll be going up to Nottingham tomorrow. Statistically the fittest I've ever been in my whole career. And that's, like I said, that's just something that isn't, that's not a talent. That's an ethic. That's a work ethic that um, is in there somewhere.
0: Well, that was, um, that was the answer I was expecting from you because the last 28 years since I saw you make your debut at age 12 or whatever it was, I, I've noticed, and I'm going I'm to go so far as to say, and this may embarrass you, apologies if it does, but I've sat in the crowd and watched Somerset games over the years and, and I think when you left Somerset, everyone saw uh, someone leaving the club that they would consider a legend. Now, the word legend is not one that we bandy around uh, like confetti in sport. But a lot of Somerset supporters, I know I speak for many, Pete, and saying they they saw you as one because of that dedication and that commitment. You know, you knocked on the England door, it would be fair to say. There was all sorts of talk about whether you're going to get picked uh, for a T20 game, for example. Um, But I think everyone admires that work ethic that you And At the age of 40, to be fitter than you've ever been, um, I think is testament to how hard you work? And so I, w- I don't think I was really expecting a different answer to the one you gave me, but for the benefit of all those listening, I think you're right. You know, uh, th- there has to be a degree of ability, but I think um, ability pales into insignificance if you don't have that ethic, that, that drive and that enthusiasm and that dedication, getting yourself up an hour earlier, staying on the training pitch an hour later. Um, and I think there's a, there's a big lesson for a lot of people. Um, Listening out there, so um, you know you've got a family, Pete as well. Um, lovely family, and uh, and therefore, I guess as a as a sportsman, still at the top of his game. How difficult is it for you to keep that kind of work life balance? Because that must be a a common challenge for for people at you know playing sport at a high level.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's you know, I suppose um, it's, it's fortunate myself and Claire have been together for twenty years. Um the children are have always known me, you know, be a sportsman. Obviously that's all I've ever done. You know, they're, they're they're kind of used to me being away for long periods of time. But obviously as you know, you know, looking back a generation of sportsmen ago, I I really don't, you know, you can see why the sort of um Family sort of breakup stats are so high because you know this day and age you've got Zoom for instance and and FaceTime and all these different ways of communicating and being able to see your family and your loved ones, you know um, and and it, even even with that kind of relationship from time to time it's it's tricky you know I've had periods where I played as an overseas player for Central Districts so where I was away for four months at a time um you know I, there was a period in my career for, I think for seven winters I was away playing in different competitions, you know, and not just two or three weeks at a time, we're talking like months at a time. So it has its strain, obviously. So, you know, the support network you need from your family is is very important. And obviously, i go past just obviously the people that I live with, that network of, of, of the in-laws and my mum and dad that help out with the kids when you're away, you know, it all comes together. And like I said, I, I mean, I don't think it would be that easy without, a combination of all those things happening, like I said, the technology that you can see your family, but also um, your wife getting the support, raising the children, because in fairness, I mean, it's the one thing that um, is difficult when you're a sportsman. If you are honest, you've been pretty sort of vacant for a lot of the uh, the nappies and the nighttime feeding and the school runs and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, that's... Um, that's the way this family ticks and uh, we all understand that and it kind of, yeah, we make it work. Good for you. I mean, it, it's
0: something that we hear often from guests on, on this podcast. Uh, the support network is very important. And that support network, Pete, um, the highlights of, the, of your career. You know, you've played for lots of, lots of uh, teams. Uh, Somerset, of course, is, it runs through everything you've done uh, in cricket. But, of course, as we've already heard, whether it's hockey or golf or football, uh, or anything else frankly you've turned your hand to um what, what, any 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 standout team that you've played for and and why is it is it somerset or are there any other teams that you've played for that you know uh,
1: live long in your memory for a particular reason um yeah a number actually i mean playing you know when I was sixteen, I was signed um for to western supermare Football Club, which was always a massive goal for me. Uh, and i loved loved playing at woodspring park which is now a kfc but um <laughs> you know to to be to be in goal at 16 at that level was was quite an achievement it was a very very senior team at the time as well uh so you know i was probably being exposed to things that 16 year old lads shouldn't really be exposed to but you know in terms of like the banter and the dressing room and you know we had a cracking little team, and you know I can remember the the stand on the right hand side with with our sort of loyal fans singing seaside mafia and all that kind of stuff and I could you know they were great memories um, We always had this fixture the boxing day fixture in the southern league back then was always against Newport County, which was a fierce, fierce game. Newport used to come over. To watch the football and to to have a scrap basically in town afterwards, they'd bring four or five thousand people down. I can remember having, yeah, literally four or five thousand Welsh Newport fans behind my goal. I'd I get to half time, but I was an absolute broken man. I had lumps on the back of my head where I had boiled sweets thrown at me and spat on and this, that, and the other. I can remember one particular Boxing Day, I saved two penalties and we won 2-1. And it was just, I mean, that was just a great start to um, my sort of sporting life, if you want, to be 16 and exposed to that level of sort of um, intensity and pressure. So I look on those days really fondly. But then, you know, from a winning point of view, going over to Central Districts, uh, playing in New Zealand in their equivalent professional cricket league, winning the Plunkett Shield, which is their first class uh, competition over there. Having the pressure of being an overseas player as well, because that's something that if you haven't done it, it's kind of, I mean, it is there. I mean, like I said, you you, you sign as the overseas player, you're the one player that they've recruited from a different country uh, to, to come and improve their teams. There's that pressure on there. And there are some some sort of moments that I had in New Zealand that I'm really proud of, in particular I scored a, a big hundred against uh against auckland which was a which was a great moment, and that was in um a championship winning season, so a great experience i mean yeah there's there's lots of things that I am very proud of I'm very proud of being from western Supermeor as well and I think one of my other really proud things it's probably my i suppose from a sporting point of view least. Um, big-time things, is I love playing for Weston's first-team golf team. Absolutely love it. Playing the foursomes, which is kind of an amateur golf rider cup, if you like, you know, it's relatively local, so you're playing against, you know, Clevedon and Burnham or whoever you might be playing against. I absolutely love turning out for my town.
0: I'm just, uh, no, well said. I, I think um, for those who don't know West, where Western Supermare is on the map, it's in the southwest, down by Bristol, and it's the place everyone's only ever been once. Um, but <laughs> for reasons you'll discover when you the go there. <laughs> but I love the fact that, uh, that your heart is in Western Pete. Um, on, on the subject of kind of intimidation and distraction and pressure, you know, everyone's well known that Tiger Woods' father used to throw things at him as he was practicing hitting balls on the range. I'm just trying to think while you were speaking then, whether you and I ever played first team together. Um, You you probably asked the captain of the day whether or not you could avoid playing with me, but I'm sure we must have played on at least one occasion. Anyway, um, the whole intimidation and distraction and pressure thing, um, the the reason I want to just focus on that for a second is, um, there's there's an analogy, there's a parallel with life and business, I think. and, And I think there's an important message for people out there who are either dealing with life or dealing with business, not just sport that's part of the deal right it's part of the package it's what you sign up to has that has that made you more resilient you know that that upbringing where you know you were in that kind of cauldron that pressure cooker environment where it was do or die has, has that helped shaped you and made you
1: more resilient and determined you think yeah i mean i mean going back to sort of the upbringing you know with, uh, with, with Sam, who I was joined at the hip with basically for my whole sort of upbringing, I can re- there was always something on everything we did. It was never just a putt. It was never just a penalty. It was always a putt to win the Masters. It was always a penalty to win the FA Cup. It was always, we, we always piled on this perceived pressure. And I think that is, like I said, that's probably just a little bit of a helping towards those moments where you are genuinely under pressure, I mean no one i mean it's one of the sort of coaching cliches really you know they you know people say about train hard play easy, and hopefully your the listeners will will get what that means, but there's no such thing as train hard play easy, you cannot replicate the the, the moments that matter and and again that's probably the difference with with people who fall into the mediocre and the ones that succeed is, is people that can identify those big moments, not always on the sports field, just in life in general and just and step up, step up mm-hmm. to the moment, make the right decisions, calm under pressure. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, like I said, not just about over a putt or over, you know, hitting four off the last ball or anything like that. Sometimes it might be someone falling off a bike and whacking their head in front of you. You know, people that are calm under pressure, make the right decisions, make the right choices. And like I said, I mean, thankfully, um, I do believe that I have that ability to sort of step back. And actually, a lot of people think that I can be quite cold and callous sometimes, but I just am very good at staying in the moment and, and, and hopefully making the right decisions and not panicking too much. Like I said, I think it is something you can you can train into yourself. But I mean, for me, fortunately, I, f- I feel like it was almost naturally done from a very very early age. With again the sporting challenges that me and Sam used to have. Mm. Who was
0: the best player you ever played with or against, Pete? Um, I mean,
1: I mean, like you I said, you, I mean, that-
0: you were you were lucky. You played some some cracking players over the years. I mean, Banger, Marcus Truscothic, and um, I mean. It, don't come much better than that but um you you you're also lucky enough to play overseas so uh i know you even you even uh gave me a bat that i think was responsible for quite a few runs out of a a certain ground in india at one point if i'm not mistaken Uh, i didn't score as many runs with it as you did of course (laughs) but um but the thing was so flipping heavy i don't think i had trouble lifting it up but um who was the best player did anyone spring to mind
1: yeah, I mean that's the benefit of playing as an overseas player and playing in English county cricket. You know, it's so it's so welcoming to overseas players. You know, it's always been been that way for years and years and years. You know, I've played with and against Sachin Tendulkar, Shane Warne, Mattia Muralitharan. I mean, the list literally goes on. I mean, the one the one player that I played with that. I just couldn't fathom how you could, I mean, I've always thought I was, or judged myself as quite a good player of spin and had, you know, a couple of times, you know, got the leg out of the way and, um, and hit Shane Warne for a few, a couple of six years and you think, yes, he's an unbelievable bowler and by the way, he did get me out eventually, but I always felt like if you, you could play someone like that, even though it was incredibly challenging, but Mattia I faced him so many times in the nets when I had my one season with Kent. I literally would just walk out having no idea. Not only did I not have an idea at the time, even when I reflected on what I did, I still couldn't come up with a plan of how to play the bloke. It was just ridiculous. And obviously, his, you know his, his almost unbeatable record of 800 test wickets or whatever it is. I mean, it's just... I mean, like I said, I I just used to walk out the nets completely scratching my head. So in terms of like overall record, I mean, there's obviously a bit of a contentious thing about his action. But, you know, putting that to one side, he was ridiculously good.
0: Well, I think the fact that he could do it, you've got to to doff your cap, haven't you, to somebody who can do those kinds of things with his body. But nevertheless, um, and I think I'd rather have faced one of your deliveries than uh, one from him, because I didn't have a clue either, I must admit. Not that I ever faced him, but just just watching him, the guy could turn, turn things sideways. I'm going to ask you, before we close this off in uh, another sort of uh, five, seven minutes, um, you've said in the past that you fear, I wonder whether this is, this is born from our days drinking cider down at Somerset, but you have said in the past that you fear a football hooliganism is creeping into cricket. Is that, is that still your belief? And if so, tell me more about that particular, that particular comment, Pete.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are certain groups of of, of fans at certain clubs that I think um, do go a bit over the top. I mean, I'm all for you know everyone having a good time, but you know we we've had occasions at Taunton where the the, the we played Glamorgan, which is only one of a number of um, of, of sort of negative memories I've had of of Craig, where I. I'm pretty sure that it's the the Cardiff City football gang, if whatever they call themselves, come out. They've sort of hijacked T20 as a reason to get hammered on a a sporting event, and they came over, and they literally caused chaos. They came over. It was a a five o'clock start. They were in Taunton Town Centre setting flares off and causing chaos with the police at sort of midday, you know, Cricket grounds aren't really geared up to cope with that. I mean, if you could imagine dealing with, you know, three or four thousand hammered football fans. So, I mean, that was that was something that I think the, the game needs to be aware of. But but like I said, it's it's one of those catch twenty-twos. You want people in the ground, you want them having fun, you want them having a few beers, but there's always a line. I mean, football have obviously you know, struggled with this particular issue for years and years and years to the point where you have to really police the ground in the, in the surrounding area. I hope that doesn't happen. And that's kind of the only, that's the only reason why I say that. I don't want to have to turn up to my cricket ground and there's 500 police that needs, you know, required to just, just to get the game on. That's what I don't want to happen. Um, yeah. So I'm not saying it to have a go at people you know, going a bit over the top. But like I said, there will come a time where if town centres are causing, you know, descending into chaos because of the game, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just going to be a massive sort of expense to to, to the game of cricket. And like I said, you've also got the dynamic of a cricket ground where you'll have people taking things to that level and then... A, 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 a mum and dad and a 12-year-old couple of kids. You, do you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. it spoils it for them. And that's that's kind of where where I'm at because, you know, that particular day, there were some really, really upset youngsters and that's what I don't want to see.
0: Yeah. Although
1: I have to say, isn't it
0: great that um, we've seen a seismic shift in uh, in the followers of cricket? We've moved away, I guess, from that stereotypical, and sorry for generalising here, but, you know, the... The, the gentleman in his 70s wearing his, uh, his hat and his shirt and tie in the middle of a summer afternoon. Um, we've got young families now. More and more young kids appear to be really enjoying their cricket, and that's, that's terrific to see, and I think T20's had a lot to do with that. It's the razzmatazz and the fun in cricket's, I think, being brought back, and, and long may that continue. I'm also going to ask you, uh, just because it's been uh, reasonably topical lately, um, Black Lives Matter, we've heard those words, those headlines, For quite some time now, have you ever witnessed any kind of institutional uh, racism within cricket? It doesn't seem to me that that's a sport that suffers quite as badly as some of the others. Is is that a misconception from my perspective, or does it happen?
1: I mean, it would. I mean, it would probably be. I don't know if it's, you know, if I can necessarily have an opinion on it because obviously, you know, I have my experiences. Um, but obviously, you know, from the outset, I mean, I've got to say that you know, I've played for Somerset County Cricket Club for 20 years. The the two of the three absolute icon god statuses of our club are two West Indians, Joel Garner and Viv Richards. Yeah, we, we, I mean, they, they are idolised. You know, there are you know, we have parts of our ground and you know, photos all up you know, celebrating what they did for for our club. So, you know, I don't think that's... I mean, if there was a institutional racism issue in cricket, would we have so many um, players of colour, you know, coming into the ground? I mean, every single team hires from the West Indies and in Pakistan and India and all over the world. And obviously, there's some fantastic players, you know, for England, Joffra yeah. Archer, Tamal Mills, Chris Jordan, you know. Um, but then, you, you know, I, I, who knows? I mean, it's probably not for, not for me to say. I mean, the, the Black Lives Matter thing is, you know, is, is very important in today's, you know, culture. And it's, you know, we are in a situation where I do believe that in the UK we we get it as as, as as well as anyone does in in the world, to be honest. From what I can see, you know, we all have our past and what's deemed as acceptable in different, you know, generations. I I, I personally can't see how going back four and five hundred years and looking at how things were done then and sort of slating that situation is, I feel like it's missing the point of where we're at as a a nation at the moment. Um, Like I said, I'm sure there is more we can do. Um, I, I, for one, personally, just... You know, I couldn't care if you were green, black, blue, orange it does not bother me in the slightest. I mean, I treat good people like good people and bad people like bad people. That's my view on on life. Um, but like I said, I mean, it would be a terrible shame to 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 hear that, you know, inside my teams I've played for that anyone's ever felt repressed in any way, shape or form. I'm pretty sure that in my 20-year career... Um, I can say that certainly in the Somerset dressing room, that wouldn't be the case.
0: Yeah, well, let's hope. Uh, and well said, I have to say, maybe that that very fair and objective opinion you've just given uh, reflects on the fact that you're now uh, into TV presenting. And I have to say, of all the people I've, I've known in sports, um, I, I think you've got a fantastic career ahead of you, Pete, because uh, you are very articulate. Uh, you've got great opinions and and you know, massive experience over a very long period of time with a number of different clubs and different sports. So um, tell us more uh, briefly about the the TV presenting, how the opportunity came about. Is it something you want to continue doing in the future?
1: I, I would love to actually. I mean, the difficult thing is, you know, unless you get to a, you know, I, I think in terms of opportunities within television, if I'd have played anvila Games for England, I think I would get, a lot of work i mean i'm I'm probably at that stage now where if when i if and when i do move into the media i'm gonna have to get jobs on the back of being good at media not just because i was a good cricketer if that makes sense mm. you know there are a lot of people who just get given an opportunity because they're a name but like i said i feel like i'm gonna have to forge my own own way if you like um i have a few opportunities you know i i've done a fair bit so far i mean i um, presented one series called Beyond the Boundary where we went all over the world. Um, it was absolutely fantastic, absolutely loved the experience. And and in fairness, it was probably one of my hardest, physically hardest tours I've ever done. We were away for about six to eight weeks in total. I've never been so tired in normal life. I mean, we went all over the world, Dubai, Singapore, uh, Kenya, Rwanda, and all over South Africa. It was absolutely fantastic. And, yeah, I would love to do a bit more, but I kind of feel like I have to get a gig on some dancing on ice and break a leg just to break (laughs) into the uh, limelight, really, or go in the jungle and eat some fish eyes or something just to get myself um, a little bit more in the mainstream. But hopefully that will come, but I've still... I've still got some cricketing to do in the meantime. <laughs> I'd pay. I'd pay bloody good money for that. Um, so uh, the,
0: the the future then cricket. I mean, you're in you're in uh, peak physical condition. Um, anyone that knows you looks at you as uh, with envy. Just how the hell does he does he do that to his body? Um, so great physical condition. Um, new contract with Nottinghamshire, which is amazing. So um, retirement anytime soon. What's the plan?
1: um yeah when i had the, the, the you know, leaving somerset was was tough but i definitely felt like i was had more than more than enough to give to the game and i wouldn't have signed the contract with nottingham if i wasn't going there to have my best years i mean i have no intention on winding down the clock in any way shape or form obviously the club nottingham, they're a massive club very talented side so I'm going to have to be right on the top of my game just to get into the into the starting team which is obviously the first goal but like I said I mean I've signed for two years obviously half of that's been wiped out with uh, the uh, coronavirus issue but you know I'm going up there in a couple of days time and I'm looking to hit the ground very much running Uh, in terms of when does it come to an end it comes to an end for me when I feel like I can't win games for my, for the team that I'm playing for and I'm definitely not there at the moment. I, I I don't I don't foresee the end of my current contract being the end. The end will cut, come if I feel like my ability is not a match winning one anymore. I don't want to I don't want to be that bloke that's just clinging on. I want yeah. to be a match winner. I want to go up to Nottinghamshire and within the two, three months that are left of this season, I want to cement myself as a crowd favourite up there because they will see the commitment I give to the team. They will see the qualities I can produce on the field. And that is as far as I look ahead in terms of like the actual play inside of my career. I love that. Wouldn't it be ironic if you scored the winning runs in the T20 final next year against Somerset?
0: That doesn't bear thinking about. But um, best of luck, <laughs> Pete, with your career. Uh, final question, well, final couple of questions. Uh number one, uh are you a bit of a social media uh, buff? Are you are you are you on social media? Do you have a website? How do people find out more about you apart from clicking on Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club and, and looking up your details?
1: Um how how else do people find out about Peter Trigo? I am on uh on Twitter and Instagram. Uh Triggs 140 is my Twitter handle. And uh PD Trigo77 on Instagram uh yeah just I mean a lot of the posts at the moment are sort of fitness related obviously that will morph into sort of more media and uh, cricket performance stuff as the season go, gets ahead but um yeah take a look brilliant we'll do final question Pete it's the one we ask
0: all our guests the only one that's common to all of them and that is quite simple one of your kids saunters into your living room one day and says dad I've been thinking about you know life and uh, and the business or the sporting career I want to embark on, with all of those 40 years of experience and an awful lot packed into that uh, short period of time, but with all of that experience, good and bad, if you could give me a mantra to live by, if you could give me a simple paragraph that would motivate and inspire me, something to live my life by, what single piece of advice would you give to one of your kids
1: or both of your kids above all else, Pete, well, my first bit of advice, being a dad of a 13-, of 15-, a and 18-year-old, is don't bother trying to give them any advice because they won't listen. But if I was going to give advice to someone else's child that might listen to me, it would be, um, I'm, I'm a huge believer in very much staying in the moment. And every single day, when I put my head on my pillow... I always have this thing inside of my head that is, have I done enough today to improve myself? Have I looked for an opportunity to improve myself? I mean, at the moment as a sportsman, it's obviously about the physical side of things, but I just feel like people that go out there and look for opportunities to be the best they can be on every given day are the ones that sleep the best, eat the best, are the healthiest and the achievers. So that is that would be my my life advice to live by every single day you wake up find a way to be better than the day before i love it
0: that's a really really good way of ending a terrific podcast i'm sorry we couldn't speak for longer but people tend to get a bit bored after 35 40 minutes so um (laughs) but it it might be peter we get you back and we have a we have another go so many more questions i'd love to have asked you today but peter trigo somerset legend and hopefully Nottinghamshire legend before he uh, quits the game. Thank you very, very much indeed for being a terrific guest on the Sandro Forte podcast today. Cheers, Sandro, and let's have that game of golf soon. Absolutely, you'll see how bad I've become. So thank, Cheers, you. thank you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today. You, you've got to know Peter Trigo to fully appreciate what an amazing guy he is. Uh, each week we've got a new guest joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life's challenges. Please make sure you subscribe, tell your friends about it too, and follow us on social media, Sandro's Podcast with an S. Same on all channels, don't forget. And if you want to email us with a question, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. And please remember those two other important things. To connect with me, Sandro Forte, it's The Real Sandro Forte on Instagram. And please leave your reviews on iTunes. They are really, really important because we like to bring guests to you that you want and you ask for. And don't forget, occasionally we do offer uh, prizes for um from some of our guests so make sure that you uh review on itunes because then you'll automatically be entered into the draw to win one of those prizes donated by a guest of the Sandro 40 podcast and who knows we might get signed back out of pete but i'll talk to him about about that after the show so until this time next week and another terrific guest on the Sandro 40 podcast goodbye for now